Everybody, thank you for tuning back into the Cartech Garage. Uh, Wesley Adams here, along with Mr. Max Gundram, and yeah, we're going to talk about cars. Yeah, absolutely. Another week in automotive history. Indeed it is. So let's buckle up and take a ride, folks. All right. Let's kick it off. April 25th in 1959. You know, 62 years ago, it was on the cusp of being 1960, and Mario Andretti made his racing debut. Now, this was before all the sponsorships. This was, in fact, when he was driving his own 1948 Hudson um, at Nazareth Speedway in Pennsylvania. And a lot of people don't remember this, but, you know, a lot of people remember, I guess, his success at Indy and Formula One, but he started out his career as an American stock car racer. You know, it was before it got massive. But yeah, you know, 1967, actually, you know, obviously took a while. He, he was in it for a long time. But once he got some sponsorship underneath of him and, you know, got some team backing, he actually won the Daytona 500 in 1967, even though his team kind of tried to sabotage him a little bit. We talk about that story in one of our previous episodes. But yeah. Andretti actually <laughs> beat the team's first driver, Fred Lorenzen. Yeah, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Lorenzen was like dominant. Um, in his Ford Fairlane. I mean, it was it was a beast. And in that race, um, they gave him basically not, not the same engine. They gave him a weaker engine. So in order to keep up, he cut his rear spoiler a little bit lower. Oh, yeah, okay. And okay. that way he could gain a little bit of speed. He ended up raising a big fuss after he was a few seconds behind. And finally, they were like, all right, just put the same engine as Fred's in. But he didn't have the same amount of downforce with that power. Yep. So everybody says drifting <laughs> was invented by Mario Andretti in 1967. <laughs> he is one of the only, uh, I think one of only three drivers in history to have won um, stock car races on paved ovals, uh, road courses, and dirt tracks all in a single season. And then um, Andretti and AJ Ford are the only men to have both won the Indy 500 and the Daytona 500. So pretty cool. You know, yeah. Two different racing disciplines. And um, you know Mario is actually second in IndyCar victories in totality. Oh, wow. Right, right behind Foyt, yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, when he won his Formula One championship, everybody says that, you know, diversified his credentials enough, and motorsports media actually voted him driver of the century. And um, he retired in 1994. You know, really, really interesting racing career. Wait, how long of a racing career? A long one. So you said it started in 59, and he retired 94. in 94? Yeah. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's a he's, badass. Yeah, he's got to be one crazy guy, that's for sure. Yeah, awesome, awesome career. All right, April 26, 1982. This one's, I mean, not funny, but kind of funny. So Rod Stewart, he was mugged, and he got his car stolen. So he, he was mugged by a gunman. The gunman stole his $50,000 Porsche 911 Carrera. Was that fifty grand at the time? At the time, yeah. Okay, so so. I, mean, I was going to say, imagine if you get a 911 for fifty k nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I would definitely go ahead and buy one of those and resell it. Yeah, you and me both. Yeah. So the, the funniest part about this, you know, obviously it's, it's awful, but he had to help the guy start the car because the, the thief didn't know that the ignition was on the left. So he actually had to show the guy how to start and steal his Porsche. <laughs> tell you what that sounds like one good man this sounds know. awful though hey, i don't want to get shot you know this is my porsche hey, you would really want to steal it and i don't have a choice i guess i'll show you how to steal it uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh anyway we'll go ahead and move along from that sorry rod um april 27th 1920 101 years ago mr tommy milton um established an unofficial land speed record driving this monstrosity of a car built by duesenberg um, with twin straight eight engines, twin straight Duesenberg eight engines. 
Yeah, and they're like, well, it's not enough. Just put two of them in. But during the run, yeah. the car caught fire. Imagine that. Yeah. You know, and of course, I don't see how. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the time, you know, cars regularly had minor oil and fuel leaks, you know, at that period. And people just lived with it kind of, you know, because they, you know, gasket materials weren't as far along as they are now. Um, you know, we really take for granted how little our cars leak and burn and smell, you know. Yeah. So, you know, with two engines, a lot of heat. I guess we can only speculate as to why it caught fire, but we're pretty sure. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> pretty confident in that answer. Yeah. Now, you know, obviously he, he lived, uh, he was able to get the car to the end of the straight, and then Milton, along with some spectators, were able to put the fire out using some sand. And um, the cool part, though, on that run, and he didn't do another one for obvious reasons, it was recorded 156.046 miles an hour. It's about 250 kph if you're outside of the U.S., and because Milton's record run was only one way, it wasn't officially recognized as an international land speed record, but nobody won or rather surpassed that 156 mile per hour record until 1926. So it still took six years for anybody to go as fast as he did. Well, how long did he hold the record for being the fastest guy on fire? <laughs> that's what I really want to know. Uh, that's funny. I mean, that has to be an official record. I mean, technically, if it's on fire, he was the fastest man at the to, time. At, at the, the time, time, for sure. <laughs> to be on fire. Fastest man on fire. All right. That is a record I do not ever want to try and attempt. No, not at all. I'm going to have to buy a Guinness book. All right. Uh, April 28th, 1974, Nicky Lauda won the Spanish Grand Prix. Important because it was his first victory in Formula One. You know, this was the first time racing for a Formula One team. He kind of bought his way into Ferrari. Um, and then he was a master setting up the cars. He actually made his car considerably faster than Clay Regazzoni's at the time. And that's, you know, in part why he was able to be so dominant with Ferrari early on because he was a genius setting up the cars. And the other important thing, this was the 50th F1 win for Ferrari, which meant a lot because it was in the midst of an almost two-year streak with no race wins for Ferrari. That's impressive in itself. It really is. I mean, Nick Lauda was, you know, it just, a force in motorsport. It blows my mind that, you know, at, at this time, the driver is tweaking the car. And, yeah. You know, nowadays, you look at Formula One, there's hundreds, if not thousands of people working on a car, on one car specifically. And they just want the driver's input, and then they'll take care of how to fix it. Exactly. And the driver just drives and says, hey, I don't like this, and then they change it for him. You know, yeah. Versus him basically saying, I was, All right, well, I was having a conversation car. about that. I, I kind of miss the driver involvement with the team and the mechanics mm -hmm. because it, it almost disconnects it from them. I don't know. It, I, I'm obviously not out there racing an F1 car, so, you it's know, much different. Exactly. But, you know, I just feel like there was a little bit more hard in it at times. At, at times. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, you know, blowing it all out because, again, I'm sure these, these guys that are out there racing care in a, yeah. an immense amount, obviously. Um, but it was just really cool to see guys racing cars around the tracks that they actually had their hands on. Yeah, it was their car. You yeah, know, yeah, versus that, a, they, <laughs> hey, here's you know the a couple team's million car, dollar yeah. Formula One car. <laughs> just win the race, please. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, uh, April 29th, moving along, 1969, the Porsche 917 was driven in the public eye for the first time at the Le Mans Test Weekend. Now, I love the Porsche 917. Oh, yeah. This is one of my favorite, you know, 70s, 70s car. Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely, in my opinion, certainly like top 10 race cars of all time, no doubt. Um, the 917 gave Porsche its first overall win at the 24 Hours of Le Mans in 1970 and 71. 
And it actually held the, the highest speed clocked um, for a little while, too. The 917 at Le Mans w- was traveling about 225 miles an hour at the time. Um, so it was pretty much unstoppable. And, you know, 10 variants were kind of made over the years. I think 10 or 11 variants at least. And they had, you know, testing ones. Uh, they had a 917K. Uh, that was a short tail version. The L was the long tail version. And they had multiple iterations of the flat 12 that they had for it. And the most powerful came at the 1973 Can-Am race series, which we had a whole Can-Am podcast. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, flogging on about this car. <laughs> and um, it was a twin turbo, 1300 plus horsepower monster. And then they ended up taking that 1973, 917-30 out to Alabama Super Speedway, which is now Talladega. Mm-hmm. A few years later, and ran 240 miles an hour. It's the fastest the track has ever seen to date. <laughs> from a car from 1973. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, just a drive. Porsche. Porsche's definitely, <laughs> definitely knows what they're doing. Is oh, of course. I mean, they are well masters, masters in motorsport. hundred um, percent. I mean, def, you know, they're, they're the most winning marquee ever Yeah. in motorsport. I mean, no, nobody really compares to them. And I always kind of miss them in F1, you know, at least they're kind of getting back into it with the engine manufacturer. It's what they used to be. You know, like the Porsche tag engines, um, you know, the, the twin turbo V6s, they, they did a fantastic job. But I would love to see Porsche invest a lot of money and compete as a constructor and yeah. see how they fare against Mercedes and McLaren. I, I wouldn't, I don't know. I would just love to see that. I know it's a huge investment and Porsche is already successful in so many other areas of motorsport, but I think that they could certainly be a contender, maybe not right off the bat, mm-hmm. but in due time without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. All right. April 30th, 1994, uh, just 27 years ago. This was uh, pretty sad. It was the first death of a Formula One racer in a race weekend um, in over 12 years. Yeah. And it was Roland Rotzenberger. A lot of you guys probably remember this. He was competing in his first Formula One season for SimTech, and he was killed during practice at the San Marino Grand Prix at Imola when he struck a wall. And he was only 33 years old. Unfortunately, to no one's knowledge, the next death would take place the very next day. Um, you know, Roland Rotzenberger was a, pr- a pretty talented driver in his first year of F1, and he was a pretty close friend of, of the guy who died the next day, um, which brings me to my next point, and this is kind of solemn because he's like one of my favorite drivers ever. May 1st, 1994, Sunday, at the San Marino Grand Prix in Italy, Three-time Formula One champion, Ayrton Senna, died after his car went off track and hit a concrete wall at 135 miles an hour. It's, yeah, yeah. I, it's very sad. I mean, and everybody that, that's a lover of F1 and a lover of motorsport can replay this accident in their head over and over and over again. And it's like burned internally into my memory, the, the vision of him impacting the wall on the right front and the suspension component punching through, and you just see his, his helmet. And... Um, Everybody thought he was going to be okay because F1 cars had gotten so much safer. Roland was the first guy to, to die in 12 years. So, you know, when he got in his accident, everybody expected him just to get up and walk out. And had he crashed at, you know, five degrees plus or minus the angle that he had, he likely would have walked away. Mm-hmm. Um, but the broken, you know, control arm basically just punched right into his helmet and knocked it head on. And it didn't, you know, hit that at the right angle to, to glance away. Yep. And um, he unfortunately passed away. And he was a, a national hero in Brazil, his native country. The Brazilian president actually declared three days of national mourning and closed schools on the day of his funeral. That's that's very, I don't know, respectful. It is. I mean, like he was, 
you know, he was the guy everybody watched. He was, you know, the sporting's greatest achievement from Brazil at the time. And that's what, you know, like people who aren't, you know, huge racing fans, they mm -hmm. really don't understand like the hype behind, you know, Formula One and how big it really is in some exactly. of these countries. Yeah. And as I've told anybody, it's like soccer. You know, if, if you're a soccer and sports fan, but you don't know cars, it's, I mean, up there with, you know. Exactly. Professional I mean, he, soccer. He was a, a national hero. I mean, this is, I don't even think that you could compare it to like most sports players um, in the United States. Like, I mean, he was certainly more popular in Brazil than like Tom Brady is in the United States. Well, yeah, by and, far. I and mean, you also take into account that there's one person on that team. You know, he's exactly. the driver. There's yeah. not 22. All focuses on him. You know, so if, if you're Brazilian and you like an F1 driver around that time, you either had Ayrton Senna or Nelson Piquet. And, you know, Ayrton Senna obviously was the, the more dominant driver after a period of time. So, yeah. and I can, I can attest the whole thing you said about five degrees, you know, I've, I've wrecked at high speeds and I could say if there was any degree, any difference, I might not be here. So yeah, like things, <laughs> things can really take a turn for the worst and, mm -hmm. you know, with, with the smallest difference. Um, so back to Senna, he began his motorsport career in karting just to kind of roll around on, on his life a little bit. Um, you know, he, he moved up to open wheel racing in 1981. He won the British Formula Tr Three Championship in 1983, and then he made his Formula One debut with Tolman in '84. And of course, after that, he moved to Lotus Renault. The following year, um, won six Grand Prix races over the next three seasons in a compar in, in a car that was largely uncompetitive, um, truly. And it was it was really just his innate driving skill that allowed him to be you know as competitive as he was. And in 1988, it all turned around because he went at he he basically got a deal with McLaren Honda, and he joined Frenchman Alain Prost. And between them, in that 1988 season, they won every single one except for one of the 16 Grand Prix that year. So they won 15 out of 16 races that year, and Senna claimed his first World Championship. Uh, and then Prost came back and won in 1989, and then Senna. Actually, uh, his second and third championships came in 1990 and 1991, both with McLaren Honda as well. So all three championships were won with them. And then in 1992, um, of course, there comes williams Renault with their awesome suspension <laughs> setup. Um, <laughs> you know, they were totally dominating uh, Formula 1, 1992, 1993. You know, nobody could touch, um, uh, what's his name? Totally blanking right now. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it'll come to me. Um, but, you know, he basically finished the 1993 season as a runner-up, still won five races, and he ended up uh, move, negotiating a move to Williams in 1994. And, of course, in 1994, that's when uh, he passed away, you know, driving the Williams car. Obviously had a, a very successful career, you know, Absolutely. Up, up to that point. Yeah. Nigel Mansell is who I was trying to think about. Okay. okay. <laughs> I couldn't remember his name for some reason. <laughs> yeah. I would have never got, I saw the mustache. I couldn't remember the name. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the other cool thing, he actually for a long time held the record for most pole positions, 1989, all the way up until 06. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, so even for the short period of time, I mean, a lot of people think that he still would have been up there. Of course, Michael Schumacher was then on the grid as well with him. So that would have been a very interesting battle had Ayrton Senna, you know, competed for a few more years to see him battling out with Schumacher once Schumacher kind of came up to his, uh, you know, I guess, epitome of, of his racing prowess. Yeah. 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 
Really, really cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely is. All the races that could have been and never were. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But you can't look back. It, it's history, and that's why we talk yeah. about it. You know, we're talking <laughs> about these iconic races, and, you know, even nowadays, you know, I'm sure in a few years we'll be talking about what's happening, you know, in the next couple of months with racing. Probably. I mean, I'm excited for the 2022 season. The This year has been awesome. It really, really has. Mm-hmm. This year has been awesome so far. But – Anyway, I think that about wraps up this week in automotive history. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, I know we've been getting a few more downloads. And, again, I just want to thank all of our listeners out there. So, you know, listen to our podcast, download it, uh, you know, subscribe to our channel, and also check us out on Instagram, Facebook. I even think we have a TikTok now that Max yeah. is doing instructional yeah, videos and stuff. So if you guys want to learn a thing or two. As our motto, as we're kind of going along with this, you know, is basic keep cars interesting. So, you know. We've been doing a little bit of short videos with TikTok. You know, it's something we're, we're both kind of learning and, and figuring it all out. But, you yeah. know, I've made a couple of videos like doing a cabin air filter and, and these little things. So we'd love your guys' support. And yeah. as I always say, if you guys have any input or, or want to see something, you know, by all means, contact us. And, yeah. you know, we also should have some more some more videos coming up later this year, some stuff planned. So we're really excited about that. And Indeed again, we are. Thank you, guys. Yeah, and check out our Instagram where I almost get hit by a mattress. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> this podcast has been brought to you by Almer's Auto Care in Cincinnati, Ohio, providing service beyond compare since 1936.